Hi everyone, welcome to the B2B Sales Podcast. I'm Ada. And I'm Thibaut. Every two weeks, we interview top leaders, experts, and top performers in B2B sales. And every other week, we'll share tactical tips and insights on how to start conversations, generate opportunities, and close deals faster. We are on a mission to change the way society sees sales. This profession is one of the most rewarding ever. Yet many people are afraid to do sales or they choose this career by default. This podcast is brought to you by Sales Labs. If you want to submit your questions and guest suggestions, you can join the T-shaped sales community. It's a 10 euro month subscription where you'll get access to one new tactical training every month, a community of sales reps and exclusive events and discounts. Join today and get one month for free at www.saleslabs.io slash TSC. So get ready for your dose of sales wisdom and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this new episode of the B2B Sales Podcast. So today, I'm really happy to have, I think it's the first time I have, a, a, how do you call that, someone from the same nationality as me, uh, even though we don't speak a, you know, we don't speak the same language. So it's Manuel Hartmann, who is the CEO and founder of Sales Playbook. So Manuel, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Thibaut. True uh, pleasure being here. Yeah, as we say in Switzerland, I mean, in your part of Switzerland, it's Grützi, uh, which would mean like, I don't know, hello. <laughs> in France, we say bonjour. So it's, uh, yeah, it's actually pretty pretty cool to have a, a fellow uh, Swiss citizen in the, on the line. So, Manuel, um, we're going to talk today about uh, something. I think you want to write a book about it, uh, but it's typically like the 25 common mistakes uh, we see in sales. And uh, before we go into that, uh, into these uh, details, I would love to actually, uh, first for you to actually tell us a bit more about you, your background and what you're doing. Yeah, for sure. Um, after building up skills as uh, first employee for a machine learning startup um, or business-facing employee and implementing CRMs at Accenture, working sales at Tesla back in 2012, and actually starting 12 years ago in door-to-door sales um, on the street, I built up sales playbook within the last two years from 0 to 140 plus B2B entrepreneurs. Uh, we did about 200K uh, quarterly revenue in Q1 2021, one to hit 1 million this year. And uh, we're doing this uh, to really help entrepreneurs on this journey from zero to 10 million annual revenue, which works quite differently than in an established business. Okay. Okay. And so, so uh, it's very interesting. So you've been working at Tesla, then doing some consulting. Uh, can you tell, tell me a bit more about, let's say the difference between these two companies and now what you're doing this bootstrapped uh, entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, for sure. I think it's actually like three cases there because back in times, Tesla was four people on the business side in Switzerland and the stock price was in what would be today five bucks, not 700. Yeah. What struck me there was actually like people, it was this what we call a status quo hypothesis and electric mobility wasn't a sure thing. So people are like, ah, but whatever you do as a company, whatever the, the car is, I don't believe in electric mobility. So people, it's like people not agreeing on SaaS being a thing, like cloud being a thing versus on-premise or people thinking in uh, subscription economy versus building, buying a product. And that was, that was the largest thing. So it was a lot of market education to do. And so, so we basically had zero processes. Like we had Salesforce, like one of the earlier companies having that is with Sun, I guess. Uh, in Accenture's case, as a worldwide known company, it was less. There was like Accenture coming in, fixing stuff that's broken. And uh, it was not that thing, but it was a lot of, haggling in requests for proposal and writing a lot of unnecessary PowerPoint and Excel and not actually doing a lot of discovery. 
because we're not allowed to talk to the customer. I know, I know like how important discovery is to you as well and uh, tactical empathy is. And that was lacking for me. And then like in a bootstrap company, like very early on, you, you don't have any customer testimonials. You don't know your clients so well. You don't have that brand and trust. So you need to work so much harder to win a client actually in, at, at less people available, at less funds available, at less assets available. And it just drove me that it's it's really hard to get from zero to 250K or five to 10 clients compared to going from 1,000 to 1,100. Okay, yeah. I can totally relate on this uh, initial phase where you need to educate the market and uh, no one knows about you. I, for me, it weirdly, it's something I really like doing. Uh, now, you know, personally for my business, it's been two and a half year and uh, things are very different. And it always sounds too simple. <laughs> I just feel guilty, you know, like you go and you're like, people are not even negotiating and you're like, why is it happening now? <laughs> so I think it's, uh, it's, it's pretty cool. But um, it's something I'm pretty sure you also live with your customers because in this journey, they go from zero to 10 million of recurring revenue. Uh, you have, I guess, many stages and levels. Um, yeah. Can you tell me maybe a bit more about the, the stages you go like in terms of revenue from zero to X? Like, how do you separate this zero to 10? And what are like the kind of, uh, uh, you know, typical things, goals, and uh, the myths people are having with ease of each of these stages? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think people, when they start out, they, they just hear of all the Silicon Valley sauce companies like zero to 1 million ARR in like 12, 18, 24 months. And that's really, really rarely happening in, in mainland Europe, just due to funding spirit, like people are not willing to maybe invest 50 million to get from zero to 1 million just on a yeah. multiple app now right now it's crazy i think in stages as like zero to first sign deal on what you actually want to do first deal 200k 100k to 250 250k to a million and then one to 10 million obviously like the stages in between crossing the chasm but especially early early stage like just get the first deal done uh and make sure the mechanism works and somebody trusts in that and then hit your first 100K, make it repeatable, maybe sell five to 10 deals. And then 100K to 250K, you probably get a bit closer to product market fit. You, you basically know as a founder how to do it. It might not be time to hire even a salesperson, but for sure not a VP sales because the VP sales doesn't have five people to lead. And then from 250K to 1 million, you probably want to make it more repeatable. Uh, you basically want to bring in external people like as hires, and make sure things get less dependent on yourself. Okay. Okay. I see. And so you said something about the VP of sales that I really liked. Yeah. Uh, I've seen many, uh, many people like founders where the first obsession they have is uh, first find an office, second find a VP of sales. And uh, often <laughs> they, they, they think that they, if they get the office with the baby foot or whatever, uh, the kicker and the, uh, the VP of sales, everything will be fine. What's your vision on, on hiring a VP of sales early? It's like, it's like okay, I, I don't have any money, but I want to be a Formula One driver. Let me, let me buy a house in the garage and let me buy a Ferrari and I will become world champion. Like the Ferrari is not made for you once you, know, you don't know how to drive yourself. The, the, the Ferrari will accelerate you once you got the proper skills. Otherwise, you will just crash the wall or basically increase your burn rate. And I think Jason Lemkin has a great YouTube video and post on the 48 types of VP sales. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a big mistake. People do like, they think, oh, I get somebody from Salesforce, from MongoDB, uh, from Zscaler, from enterprise sales that is very well established. And I expect that person to basically establish the same methodology in my company. 
yeah making a mistake that this person maybe didn't do acquire a single customer from scratch for two three years mm -hmm. what's called mr dashboard and and then it, it's very hard to translate that um to basically like these early stages so typically we see people hiring a vp sales too early before validating the market themselves and which is why we strongly recommend to close the first five to ten customers yourself as a founder okay okay yeah like i think the uh that's something i've seen so often uh and i think there's a lot of uh, dishonest people coming out of salesforce or whatever they went there go to a startup take some equity take like as much cash as they can and say hey i was vp of sales over there And then, you know, you realize that what they know how to do is build dashboards in Salesforce, uh, do some political stuff, uh, work inside of a company, but they don't know how to sell. They don't know how to do like anything when the, when the product is not really well known. And yeah. then it's just like, it doesn't work. What I found is actually the first hires are so hard to get, right? Because they are, they need to be this mix between this missionary and mercenary where they have right. a mission. But they also know and have great skills to actually go and start selling to people and be able to educate. But then they also have to be able to organize stuff. So uh, any tip on that, on, on maybe what's the right profile or where to find this type of profile? Yeah, absolutely. And two separate very good questions. I think in the early stages, zero to 250K, sometimes later, if you have bigger tickets, it's, it's always startup sales is like a third go to market, a third business model and market offering and a third about sales. So getting a, a traditional salesperson that will only cover like a third of what you need regarding mm -hmm. this. So you probably want to get either somebody who just went through this journey, which is ideal, somebody that just built something from zero to 1 million and basically is able to pass on the learnings and help you avoid trial and error. Typically, these people start uh, their own company. <laughs> yeah. And uh, then basically they're like, okay, I, I will pass this on. Uh, they stay in the company because the exit is still five years away and they like one to 10 million or they basically become uh, basically you, for example, that wants to help tons of other salespeople get better. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of hard to find uh, where to find these people. Um, I... It's basically educate or, or buy. Um, I'm a big believer in taking young, hungry talent and educate them there, yeah. which requires you to lead by example. So like, I, I build the script, I build the ideal customer profile, I build uh, the, the CRM structure, I build the mechanism, I build uh, the mock-up calls, and then get young, hungry talent to execute really well. Yeah. Can you also talk a bit about your experience there? I know you're working with uh, Colleen and uh, I think it's Miguel, your other colleague, right? Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, and Bailey also. And so it seems like you found some really smart people to work with you that are doing a great job. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Because you've actually, you've done this thing where you started as a founder selling and now you have a business that works really well and this, you know they are working with you. So can you tell me a bit more of how you found them and uh, how it's working? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, in, like right now, it's basically like um, Colin started in August after like one and a half years bootstrapping the business myself as a single founder. Then Miguel and Brandy started in uh, April, just after Easter. And um, I think besides like them just operationally running more sales, running more coaching, uh, running on initiatives, it's also great for the company because they ask you questions and like, Hey, why did you do that? Or where is that written? Or like, I didn't know we can do that. Or do we offer that? 
that it forces you to write like the 30-page FAQ, write the, now we have an 11-page um, sales book, end-to-end -end sales process guide with really detailed standard operating procedures because they, they haven't done this before, right? Yeah. So, so it, it forces you to step up uh, as, a, as a founder and really like download your brain to, for, to the company. And it's not this freestyle, Manuel has a good day, uh, gives everybody 50% discount, Manuel has a bad day, it just tells people to hang up the call. It becomes this company rhythm and structure. The other part is that all three of them are really happy while not getting paid 10K fixed a month. And they're really hungry to learn and to build. And already now we get clients sometimes saying like, hey, I would wish like my salespeople would be, would do this discovery, would have this structure. Like it's actually great with the quiz you're having. And obviously they still have a long way to go uh, after just one month ramping, but all of three of them closed their first deal within four weeks of being with us. Okay, nice. That's really cool. Yeah, and you know, I think that's uh, this standard operating procedure, like documenting what you're doing is so important. That's something yeah. I'm terribly bad at. I absolutely hate doing that. So <laughs> for me, it's more like yeah, recording videos and having someone taking care of that. But it's just like so much stuff. But yeah, that's. Uh, I think it requires like a lot of patience and being able to, uh, uh, because for me, I sometimes it's weird, but I sometimes have a hard time understanding that people don't understand what I'm thinking. Yep. So, and, and that's the thing is like when you're in your brain, in our businesses where we are talking with so many founders, fixing so many problems, we really know a lot about sales, even if sometimes we don't think it. And then we talk to people and they're like, they look at us and they're like, what did you say? I have no clue what you're talking about. And then you realize yep. all these years of experience are super important. So I think being able to, document that and uh and make it as as you say company kind of like rule is really uh yeah it's super important it's really sometimes boring to do but it's it's actually a skill a real skill i think yeah and, and i feel there's not a ton of sales b2b sales people out there with this patience and skill to structure things and i'm coming yeah. out of like a master business innovation about business engineering and uh basically structuring pro process optimization, process mapping, writing 100-page functional design for a Salesforce implementation. So it, it's something that I naturally bring. <laughs> like People even ask us like, hey, why was your wedding going so smoothly? But like, well, we've been like two project managers with three out of four <laughs> best men and bridesmaids only being in consulting. And it was basically just a shared Google sheet and everybody executed. And bringing that in with the sales domain expertise and the startup domain expertise is something we haven't encountered in mainland Europe so far. Did you have some uh, slides in the wedding where you had like, uh, this is like uh, the SWOT analysis or whatever? <laughs> uh, we're joking about <laughs> this kind of net present value and so on. So my, my wife's not a finance person at all. We, we didn't have that, no. But okay. we, we had a Google sheet and we had to-dos with two dates and like, it worked perfectly fine. And uh, we, we just know like a lot of tech entrepreneurs and a lot of like also salespeople have a modest time book with them. And they're basically like, we want to hit a million and we just take it from there and wing it. Yeah. And uh, that there's very few sales professionals helping entrepreneurs on focusing on that. Yeah. Like, I mean, I got people on a weekly basis telling me that like, why are you not working with corporates or small and medium businesses or scale-ups beyond like 5 million? They have more money, they, they're easy to handle, they're less likely to fail. Um, but I mean, in the end, it's also a nice niche if we only want yeah. covering that successfully. Yeah. By the way, quick tip, if you want to organize a wedding uh, without too much problem, do it in a pandemic 
pandemic basically that's what we did with my wife four people lasted 10 minutes done <laughs> so <laughs> that was a uh, very simple <laughs> yeah or reach out to me we got a we got a wedding template as well so. <laughs> <laughs> cool so uh, actually if you had to pick one mistake uh b2b entrepreneurs are doing whenever they are you know like building their their say like you know going from zero to ten what is the most common uh, mistake you've seen so far i think it's I know what the customer wants and trying to pull customers into their world and say like, look, listen to us. We do, we have our technology. We want, we can, uh, you should, instead of being customer centric and trying to do as much discovery as you can and moving into the customer's world. Okay. Like ego is the enemy. Just put the customer first, put the solution off the plate and, and listen. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually something I've I've seen in. Uh, I was working with uh, my previous employer. Last employer basically was like uh, very kind of successful or not successful, but I mean, if you can call raising money something being successful, they were really successful at it. And uh, they were they came in France. You know, I was selling for the French market. The guy was from California and started like uh, you know we went to a meeting and I was starting to ask him questions about them. Then he pulled out his slides and talked for 30 minutes about the vision, why it was such a great company, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, I had to say, hey, sorry about that, guys. He just not, doesn't know what he's talking about. And that's the thing is like, often when people get this funding or, you know, this kind of thing, they see that as a validation from the market. But it's basically just VCs taking a, a, like a, taking a, a bet that they know will have most likely chances of failing. And yeah. that sometimes people forget that it's just not because you have money from VCs that you actually haven't done anything. Yeah, exactly. And they, they confuse investor and startup award interest with custom interest. It's not the same thing. So if you both go out with our two best friends who maybe judge us like just joking by how much beer we can drink in two hours and how wasted we can get our kids or our wives will not appreciate us for the same reasons. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a good comparison. I like that. <laughs> And uh, why do you think there are so many misconceptions and myths around sales for all these entrepreneurs? I think B2B sales is interestingly still this thing which is not publicly talked about in Switzerland, Germany, Austria, just mainland Europe. There's a ton of sales talk and also entrepreneurial sales talk in North America happening. It's also not a traditional career path. I mean, when I was back at Tarske University of St. Gallen, apparently still best public a business economics university in Europe, uh, the traditional paths were uh, become a consultant, become a banker or become a consultant for bankers pretty much, become yeah, an yeah. investment banker, become an auditor. Be, like then now more, it's more and more become an entrepreneur and like build a company because that's the new hipster stuff. Yeah. It's not a career path that you go to any university or your parents tell you in Switzerland, like, hey, why don't you become a salesperson? Yeah, it's more this thing like you go to a family reunion or so, or you go to an alumni from university. Oh, I'm in sales. Like, oh, but why did you study? Oh, you poor guy. Like, wasn't there what not a job in consulting available? Oh, like this must be terrible. All this rejection, all this fear, all these pressures. Like, yeah, but on the other hand, nobody's also telling you that you can earn 150 to 300 thousand Swiss francs at 30 to 35 years old, and yeah. nobody's telling you that this kills stick for. The next 60 years around with you exactly yeah i think this is in dark as you said i think it's such a huge problem and uh for me i see it like um, the demand for salespeople is, ex is exploding especially in tech and uh, 
the thing is people have this conception that you are going to be a door-to-door salesperson. And when you sell, I mean, I would say selling in tech is really the sweet spot because um, th- that's very different. You can sell, like do inside sales and, and it's, it's super different, but there's so much pressure that every kind of like rep I train. So I train a lot of SDRs who are quite junior and they are, they are German or speaking German. You see their LinkedIn, there's like at least one message of a recruiter per day. Just the fact that they put sales development rep in their job title and speaking German, they're like a target for like hundreds of recruiters because everyone's trying to go into this market. So good ex- experience on that? It's crazy hard to, to hire people with sales experience as an entrepreneur because even entry-level people, I know that from like another, I mean, they already hit seven-digit revenue after a year. Uh, they put out a job at the person at like two, three years B2B tech sales experience and uh, they offered him 150,000 on target earnings, I think. And on the same day of the interview, he just sent a text message, will not show up, got two offers for 200K, will take one of these, thanks. Wow. It's crazy. And the person was like 31, 32. That's crazy. Double master degree in specialization in something, like no technical background, zero. That's crazy. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's that's why it's such a such a hot market. And the cool thing we says it's really about results, not so much about when do you show up or, you know, you, you can, it's also very individualistic thing if you want to be just like doing your own stuff uh, you can really do it this way if you want to be more a team player you can also do it this way so um i think when we invited me to your podcast i think that was like uh, uh, something we talked about the mindset we had the dutch industry norman mindset we had uh yeah. and and i think yeah that's uh also something where you are contributing to change that so so what's your what are you trying to do actually what are you doing out there to kind of change the vision people have around sales we, we try to help people understand that uh, a great salesperson, not this health, health or life insurance, car sales uh, salesperson is not the thing that works in tech sales or like in just sales in 2021. And that your job as a salesperson is to help people solve problems and help them take an informed decision if they should do an investment into your company, typically, that gives them anywhere of a 3 to 10x ROI. Like, can you help them capture? anywhere like 100,000 to 1 million to 10 million in value and give you anywhere like 10,000 to a million in revenue. So I'm a strong believer that if you help other people make a million, you can get 100K of that. And that's the job of a salesperson, helping people to make a million and capturing some of the value for your company and yourself. Okay. Yeah. You you know, I think think there's like some really good... uh... Um, uh, one thing in the US, for example, I, I've talked with a, a guest on the podcast was like, um, he's helping uh, teachers who are kind of tired of teaching and, you know, just, just like being underpaid for all the work they're doing to go in sales. And yeah. teachers tend to do really great salespeople because they know also how to listen, how to communicate and, and, and educate people. And so um, I found that also like one big problem we see around sales is the, the fact that we still have this image of the Wolf of Wall Street or, you know, yeah. uh, this kind of approach where you have to be super aggressive. Uh, you have to be like, uh, uh, you know, just in this boiler room atmosphere and, you know, just be super aggressive and push people. And um, I think this is exactly the opposite nowadays. You have to actually have to be really into learning, solving problem. And as you said, if you identify a 1 million euro problem, there's no, you know, there's no reason you won't get 100K. 
No, I, I absolutely. So the, the money is there to invest. And um, the thing is just that not all people basically got that part uh, up to now. Mm-hmm. But if you do it right, I think it can be really one of the most rewarding jobs just also mentally from, from a purpose perspective because you can help more people than uh, working in some administrative job. Yeah. And it, it's just that that notion hasn't arrived to everybody yet because of a bad experience with salespeople in the past. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And so coming back to our entrepreneurs, our B2B uh, entrepreneurs, um, so often like a, a big problem we have as humans is figuring out that we are doing a mistake. Uh, so how, how do you help them to actually, um, uh, how to say, like realize what mistake they are doing and fixing it? Is there any, any, any trick with that? Um, asking, asking deeper questions. I mean, we ask already in the discovery quiz before we ju- even jump on a call, like, why is the problem still here? Mm-hmm. Is it because you've never tackled this problem before? Is it because you lack focus or time or energy? Is it because you, you don't know how to get this done? Because that's really important. I mean, salespeople sometimes are a bit still today arrogant and they just think like they have the solution and the client's really stupid for not doing something about it. Mm-hmm. Typically, the client hasn't been sleeping on the rock for the last five years and has approached the problem before. So maybe they made a bad experience with a vendor. They, they tried to build it themselves. So you need to understand the status quo and the backstory of that. And then to just listen to their experience and where they want to go, where they are today, what is in their way, why haven't they fixed it, and then basically see if you can help them fix it. So this this. The solution selling, consultative selling part is really becoming more important because products are also becoming a bit of a commodity in most cases today. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so um, so I'm curious, like what you said about these, these commodities, so products are becoming commodities. What do you mean by that? And why is that the case? Let, let, let's take our example. I mean, what we teach is... I mean, B2B sales or just sales is not exactly quantum physics or, or basically like AI, right? I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a having a human conversation with somebody to help them take an informed decision. Our video sales letters, the newest thing on the block. Uh, in the US, it's not. Like people do it. In Switzerland, I, I asked like in 10 webinars across the last four weeks, how many video sales letters have you received? And typically the answer is zero. Yeah. Nobody's doing it. So we need to help people basically step up and get a competitive advantage and, and making the customer experience and the buyer journey more fun for them and actually help them to, to take more informed decisions at least and, and also shortening sales cycles and, and like increasing conversions rates, speaking sales here. Okay. So I think it's not about are you able to invent something completely new, especially in sales, but are you able to curate and deliver a mechanism for people to take action that's giving them results quickly within typically weeks and instead of months and hitting their objectives within quarters and not years. Okay. Okay. I see. Yeah. I think what you said, like about the video in Switzerland or in Europe, in the U S it's very common already. That's why it's so fun, you know, because it's actually very easy to get some ideas from out there, implement them in here because people are, are not really used to that. For me, I see it like, um, you know, I, I, I have a lot of reps. I train them on uh, on doing videos, mm-hmm. and uh, 
it's so hard for people to actually get their head around how you use video for prospecting. They really believe they have to do something great and always look uh, perfect. And so a lot of people are just not even sending videos. They record like 20 videos. It never works and they never send it. And they're like, okay, I give up. And so um, what's your experience with that? Are you using a lot of video prospecting or how is it working for you? Yeah, I, I did 2000 plus Loom videos over the last 15 months probably. Uh, that's not counting LinkedIn direct videos. So everybody listening can only recommend grab your phone, click on a message to a person, click plus, click video, record a video, stop, send, takes you one minute, zero yeah. investment, 80% um, reply rate typically. Um, also on very senior people, by the way. And the reason why people don't do it is also hesitance of stepping outside of their comfort zone typically yeah so i see this with a lot of founders and vps like oh that's a great idea like dear sales reps do video i was like yeah but mate like you also need to do it like lead by example it's like parents kids do don't do what you say but they do what you do yeah and it's like oh but maybe I, I think about it i'm feeling uncomfortable with this i'm not sure it's like and they don't take action and, and in sales and entrepreneurship it's all about the bias to action and trying out things yeah, exactly. Yeah, I can totally relate. I feel that really a lot of people are missing, you know, they just don't like stepping out of their comfort zone. And especially when you're working from home, it's even harder to get them out of their comfort zone. So uh, very interesting. Um, so Manuel, now I'd, I'd love to actually for you to talk a bit more about what you're doing at Sales Playbook and how you can help people in our audience. So now is your time to tell us a bit more about you and, uh, and how things are working. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we, we help people close to 50k ARR deals that they would have otherwise lost, um, achieve 90% reply rates, getting two, three demos out of small campaigns to 20 people, um, basically increased ticket sizes. Uh, we have a customer that went from 5k average ticket size of 5 to 10k to 150k multi-year deal, which led in uh, six-day seats financing. We also helping some scale-ups train their sales reps on video sales letters and so on. Um, like complementary to what you do, but more giving them the structure for the whole company uh, and the assets. And the way we do that is with sales acceleration enablement. So that's essentially a combination of coaching, either one-to-one -one or in small groups of less than 10 people or 50 plus how-to guides with uh, video instructions, copywriting, templates, but also with giving them access uh, to 20 plus um, B2B sales masterminds, what we call them. So people that have a specialization in either negotiation or lead gen or talent acquisition, or they are really strong in industry like health tech or uh, real estate or financial services that you could otherwise not hire uh, anyways, but uh, is also way more investment efficient to just pay a flat fee uh, an investor with us, typically anywhere of like 800 to 8,000 bucks a month uh, to get that three to 10 K uh, X ROI. Okay. And so is it mostly for people who are based in Dach or are you working with uh, many other geographics? By, by the nature of probably my professional network, I'd say around 50% of our customers are based out of Switzerland, another mm -hmm. 20 to 25 out of uh, Austria and Germany, and 25 are uh, basically from Europe, uh, some in the US, some in Argentina, uh, some in Singapore. So I think sales is still a local thing. So we're focusing on Europe, uh, but it can make sense for other continents that want to expand to, to Germany, Austria, Switzerland, and uh, just accelerate their go-to-market. Okay. And so if people want to uh, get in touch with you, 
uh, are interested in, in uh, chatting with you, like how, where can they find uh, more of you? Uh, they can reach out on LinkedIn, uh, Manuel Hartmann uh, Sales Playbook, or they can also find us via our website, uh, thesalesplaybook.io, uh, or they can also write me an email at manuel at thesalesplaybook.io. So really happy to connect. Okay. So I'll put all these links in the show notes so people can click directly. Um, but yeah, thanks a lot for coming on the show, Manuel. That was really interesting. And it's super cool to see a fellow Swiss citizen uh, you know, like not working in bank or chocolates or whatever. <laughs> and uh, even though you were close, you were doing consulting. That was very close to it. But uh, it's really cool that with what you're doing. And uh, it's been nice to see your success over the, the, the month. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you like what you hear and you want to suggest a topic or a guest, you can join the T-shaped sales community. It's a 10 euro a month subscription where you'll get access to one new tactical training every month, a community of sales reps and exclusive events and discounts. Join today and get one month for free at www.saleslabs.io/tsc.